Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 20, The Horror of Moloch. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that tells you the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. I'm here with the Warrior Princess. Hi, guys. I'm back. Zena's back. We're happy you're healthy. You had a little bit of a, a, something going on there, but you're I did. well. Okay. We're happy to know you're well and healthy. We were praying for you, and I'm sure Thank you all. the audience was, too. So, um, but yes, we've uh, already started the new year. We've been talking about the the Tower of Babel. We talked about the Mystery Babylon, mm-hmm. and we're going to continue on with our exposure of the uh, Satanic Global Elite. Ooh, they're a very interesting group. Interesting group. Uh, I've been hearing other people refer to them as the Cabal. Ooh, the Cabal, like the it's a globalist group of elite rich people behind the scenes, and Mm. we don't know who they are by name specifically, but we know as we talked about the Ten Kings, Mm -hmm. and we know when the Antichrist appears and he has his Ten Kings, which are the ten toes of the image of Nebuchadnezzar, right? So uh, there's going to be some group that will emerge, and I think they're coming out of the shadows. I think they feel like the time is right. It seems like right. you know, seems like the world in, in its chaos and confusion. And I think they're kind of behind creating a lot of that chaos mm-hmm. so that they can come to seem to be the saviors from the chaos. Right. right? So it all kind of ties together. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be talking about the horror of Moloch. Have you ever heard the name Moloch? I have not. Yeah, not many people have. He's actually a name for one of the gods of the Bible that uh, that was a bad god, a pagan god. No, not really a god, but just worshipped as a god. But he's pretty insidious in what he did or what they did to worship him. So we're going to kind of go back and look at history and what they did. You might remember when we studied about nothing new under the sun. Right? Yes. That which has been is done before. Mm-hmm. So there's a modern equivalent of just about everything that's going on. You know, a lot of us think that the ancient cultures that used to worship gods and whatever, and they built their temples and they all this, and some of them we look at as like the wonders of the world, you know, mm-hmm. like the Temple of Diana or whatever, and the, the pyramids and the Egyptians and all that, and we yeah. think of them as... Um, you know, they didn't understand, they didn't really know what they were doing, they were superstitious. And and some of that is true. Religious, the word religious means superstitious in a way. Mm-hmm. But they weren't stupid people. They were very smart. They were very advanced. You know, they built pyramids and we can't even figure out how they did it. Yeah. You so know. you're saying that they were aware that they were worshiping a false god. They were. And they also truly believed these were their gods. So it's not, you know, we think of them as, oh, they just dreamed them up, they made them up. No, there were fallen angels that said, I am Ra, I am Isis, I am Osiris, or whatever. And they built these temples to these individuals, real entities, if you will. You know, a lot of people that are calling themselves like ancient alien enthusiasts, you know, or ancient astronaut or aliens or whatever they call it, think that what they actually saw instead of angels were aliens. But I take a different approach. I think the Bible is saying they were, in fact, fallen angels who want to appear as aliens, you know, extraterrestrial. That's going to be part of the big deception, in my opinion, is that when Satan and his angels are cast down, remember we talked about, are they going to admit they were defeated? 
No. No, definitely not. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, we're your ancient alien ancestors, Mm -hmm. something like that. So Moloch would have been something initiated by one of those fallen angels. And in order to worship this god and gain the benefits of that worship, whatever he claimed to be, whether it was knowledge, fertility, more crops, whatever they believed they were going to get from worshiping him, uh, they taught them how to do that. And unfortunately, in this case, they sacrificed their children no. to these gods. Yes. And uh, that horror has its modern equivalent today, you know, and it's either being done behind the scenes covertly mm-hmm. through child trafficking and <sighs> kidnaps and things like yeah. that. Or it could have, in, I think in some ways, it does have um, a modern representation in the abortion industry. Okay. The industry, that's important to understand the difference, you know, because we understand if a woman's life is in danger and there's a real medical thing going yes. on, that's one thing. She, her intention is not to offer up a child yeah. to a god, right? Uh, but And I'm not condoning abortion or saying anything like that. I'm just saying that I understand that sometimes circumstances may dictate that to save a life, they might have to do something. Which is very true. I agree with that. I feel... Um, that it's necessary because when you think about it, that child can't survive without their mother. So right. it's like at that point, it's like, you know. A decision has it, to be made. The decision made, has yeah. to be made. And and uh, it's rare. It's extremely rare. You know, that it, this is not something that happens commonly at all. It used to be more common that women died in childbirth. Yes. Uh, but uh, this day, today with modern medicine, it's such a rare thing. It is. But there is an industry that uses... Um, aborted fetuses for purposes or um you know there's a like i said the satanic global elite that probably relishes in having the option to use these things and it sounds insidious but the reason i brought up the thing about we think of the ancient cultures as being ignorant what people don't realize is it's still going on this worship of gods and satan is still going on behind the scenes by the satanic powerful cabal Right. Very true. So let's go ahead and look at the horror of Molech. So like I said, to understand the present, we look to the past. Yes. We want to see, just like we read in Ecclesiastes, and I mentioned it before, but I like to read the passage because it's worded so poetically. It's so beautiful. I can't do it justice by trying to cite it from memory (laughs) or paraphrase it. And I love the way Solomon wrote this. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun right? Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. And then the verse 11 is really interesting. There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. We've heard people say those that fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. It's kind of that idea that, you know, there's no remembrance of those things. So because we don't think of and study and remember that there was a time when people did these horrible things, we ignore the fact that they might still be doing it now. Yeah, history does repeat itself. It really does. So human sacrifice to the gods, you've heard of that going on in places like, I think, somewhere in Mesoamerica back when Aztecs or Mayans, mm-hmm. or I think they did it. They're not the only ones, but it, it's been, it was throughout history there's been things like that. Well, the nation Israel... When they went into the land of Canaan, and remember, it was basically a, a, an extermination of giants. Yes. You know, when they went in there, the people they were killing were the Nephilim offspring. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not actually the Nephilim. They were their, their descendants later on. The actual Hebrew word for that was Rephaim. And so they were like lesser giants. Than the Nephilim, right? But they were still big. Right. They're still giants. <laughs> they were still giants. And they were teaching the people to do this, to worship Moloch and the other gods, right? So that was why God said, when you go in and take this city, kill all the humans, babies, women, everything, because they were, they were tainted with the DNA, mm-hmm. right? So in the book of Amos, we turn to one of the prophets of the Old Testament, chapter 5 and verse 26, we read, This is Amos speaking against Israel. And he says, you have borne or carried the tabernacle of your Moloch and 
Kayun, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So Israel turned right around and did the very thing that God used them to exterminate the giants and the Canaanites for doing. Isn't that something? That is something. Like, that makes... No sense. Right. And, and you have to wonder, so why was it that they would do that? And part of the reason was because they didn't obey the Lord when he said kill everything. And there were some instances where they left some of the giants and the Canaanites in certain cities and they dwelt with them and put them in bondage, so to speak, like servitude. Like okay. they became bond servants, but they still had their ideas and taught them about their gods. And that was the reason why God said to get rid of them. He gave them 400 years to repent of that. The Canaanites, they wouldn't do it. He told Abraham, I'll give them 400 years. And after 400 years is when he brought Israel out of Egypt and used them in that campaign to eliminate the additional giants that came after the flood. I really want to know why they just didn't follow the rules. It was Plain and simple. You mean Israel? Yes. Yeah. And, and evidently, it's there must be something very appealing, very enticing about the worship of the gods. Because we think of them as just being extremely um, uh, primitive and superstitious. Yeah. But we've already seen their, their abilities and technologies for the time was pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. So why would they fall for such a thing? And I don't believe they were stupid and gullible. I think they just had it bent in their heart to rebel against God because what Satan offered them was so appealing. I was going to say, I wonder if Satan offered them something and they were yeah. just like, okay, well, we'll kill majority of them, but mm. we'll just save a couple. Yeah, yeah. And there was something that, that they wanted from that. And it was that same appeal the serpent made to Eve in the garden. You shall be as gods, mm -hmm. knowing good and evil if you disobey. So that, that appeal, you know, men like to rebel anyway. Very true. And I mean, <laughs> mankind, you know, men too, but mankind in general. But uh, it's also that we, um, we're easily deceived by the superior intelligence of very the fallen true. angels, you know. So they know, I mean, they've been dealing with men for 6,000 years. They know mm -hmm. how to play us like a fiddle, right? So the book of Jeremiah, another prophet in Israel that God sent to warn them about their ways. And he also brought up the same thing about Moloch in chapter 32, verse 34. But they set their abominations in the house, and he's talking about God's temple. Okay. So they defiled God's temple with the images of their gods, mm -hmm. which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal which are in the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And by the way, we're going to define some of these words like Moloch, Kayun, Baal. I was just about to ask, what is yeah. Baal? Hinnom, <laughs> yeah. And Baal was, Baal, think of Baal as sort of like, it's almost like a generic name for the false gods. Okay. And we're going to see the word Baal literally means Lord. But you can attach it to the front of something like there's a Baal Peor or a Baal this. Um, there's a Baal Zebub. And that second word might mean it's like Lord of this, Lord of that, Lord okay. of the valley, Lord of the opening, Lord of the flies. Mm -hmm. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the flies. <laughs> it really does. And uh, as a matter of fact, the, the Pharisees accused Jesus Christ of using the Lord of the flies to cast out devils. So they blasphemed when they accused him oh, of that. Oh, my goodness. So here's the thing. He says, they built the high places of Baal, verse 35, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and we'll come back to that valley, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, I'm going to warn the audience, just like I warned you before we started today, Zena, that it's, it's disturbing when you have to come face-to-face -face with the reality of what people used to do. I think most of us are aware of the fact that there's no depths to the level of human depravity when they reach that point. Very true. But they literally would take the, the image of Moloch was usually a metal type of a, of, a, of a statue, whatever, that was hollow on the inside, and they would build a fire into it and, and heat it up so it was glowing red. And they would take their infant children, and this statue had arms extended like this, like you were going to hand them a gift or a present. And they would put the baby on the hands, and it would roll into the fire inside 
the image and they would burn to death alive. So it was a horrifying thought. I know it just makes me weep to even think about it. Yeah. And then uh, they would often have loud drums to play music to drown out the cries so the parents wouldn't lose their nerve, you know, and uh, because they were supposed to get some sort of a blessing. Yeah, I know. It was like a fertility thing. You get, we'll give you the firstborn if you give us many more kids, because that was a picture of wealth, right? You know, having a lot of offspring, having a lot of cattle, yeah. whatever. So the sin was tied to sexual idolatry. It was really worshiping an idolatrous sexual connotation in all of these things. These fertility goddesses and gods and yeah. all that kind of thing was all part of that. So I know this was taught them by the fallen angels and that they used men's perverse nature to, and that's why we were talking about the appealingness of that. Yes. You know, the sexual appeal, that sex drive that's built into us that's naturally there can be perverted to the wrong thing. Yes. And that's, I think that's how Satan used it and took advantage of people. For babies. I know. It's so horrifying. So we go to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus chapter 18, and God staunchly warned Israel about doing these things. He says in verse 20, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Talking about adultery. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. All right. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. This is kind of an old English language way of talking about terms that we might understand as bestiality, adultery, incest, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants." And remember, this is that land of Canaan before they went in. So we're talking about these giants and their influence on the people of Canaan. All these things they were doing is, it's like, it's not to say they were just perversion in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. It was used in worship of other gods. So you could see how it's tied in, you know, uh, adultery, some sort of exchange was going on. That must have been an appeal to entice people to worship Moloch. Passing your children through the fire. Who in their right mind would burn their child alive? Right. But they got to participate in these idolatrous practices which were appealing to them because of the perversion. I'm like, how could that ever be so appealing? Like, I know. And there's, there's not, no telling what it was that... Remember, the priests and the priestesses of these temples were essentially prostitutes that would be used for the purpose of this worship. Mm-hmm. So that's where the appeal came through. And, and I think today we're looking at how could they think that way, but you've heard the expression like in advertising, sex sells. Yes, very so, true. So, you know, even though times change and whatever, you know, norms change, I mean, usually a, a scantily clad woman standing in front of a car, you know, the ad's about the car. Right. But the man's looking at it and he sees the girl in the bikini. Yes. Right, or something. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, it's always used, and it's really another form of mind control. Mm-hmm. It really is. And there's other versions of it, but you get the idea. So it's always been a part of culture, you know. It's always been a part of deception, sadly. Like the firefighters that have, like, their, like, calendars every year. Right, yeah. I'm like... <laughs> I mean, they're good-looking guys. They're young. They're, they're healthy. They're fit, you know. They got their shirt off. So they sell lots of calendars. And then and they're just playing in the water. <laughs> right. So we go to First Kings where we, we look at there were some kings that did right and kings that did wrong. Uh, this cat, you know, um, catalogs the, the kings of Israel and Judah. And in First Kings chapter 11, verse 4, we read, For it came to pass when Solomon was old... He was the third king of Israel. You had Saul, David, and his son Solomon. So Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. We've talked about that before. Remember, he had a thousand wives. Yes. Mm -hmm. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Ammonites, excuse me. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then 
did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, or Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So Satan was able to use the women to turn his heart. There's a sexual connotation to that, right? Yes. He loved many wives. He loved many women. He just couldn't help himself. He had a lot so, of them. He had a lot of them. <laughs> so he they they were used, you know, to because they didn't he didn't tell them turn from your idols and worship the true God. Or he didn't say, I can't marry you, you worship idols. He loved them anyway. Yeah. And they turned his heart. So that was, and there's several names there that we mentioned, Ashtoreth and um, Chemosh, and there's Moloch again. And so we're going to define some of these terms. Now, the penalty for worshiping these gods was death. God had told Israel, if you do this thing, you know, you're to put someone to death. And we go back to Leviticus we can read where the, the strictness of their worshiping idols was in, enforced. The Lord spake unto Moses in chapter 20, verse 1, saying, Again thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel. The word sojourn is like a pilgrim. You know, okay. he's temporarily staying with them, mm-hmm. I'm passing through, or I choose to live with these people even though I'm not from them. Okay. You know, so um, the strangers would be aliens, not, not outer space aliens, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? But like we call them Ill- illegal aliens or illegal aliens or whatever. They're immigrants. Okay. So heathen nations, the Bible called them heathens, you know, but that we take that as a negative connotation. It just meant Gentiles. I know. Yeah. Heathens. The negativity came from it because the Gentiles worshiped the other gods. So heathen was applied in the sense that, and, and the, um, the, the Hebrew word is goyim, but interestingly enough, the Greek word for it is ethnos. We get ethnic, ethnicity, right? Oh, We're different okay. ethnicities, different from the Jew, from Which Israel. Which makes sense. Right. So we were cataloged as sort of like, we have to stand apart from you because you guys worship idols. Mm-hmm. But when they turned and worshiped the true God, they dwelt among them, the strangers among you, sojourning yeah. among them. So they were accepted if they accepted the God of Israel. But then Israel turned around and did what they did. I know. know? So it says, if he does this uh, and that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. So giving of a seed means a seed is the child born. You know, we even talked about the seed of the woman bruising the seed of the serpent or the head of the serpent. Mm-hmm. So it's like a child. So when you think about it, like we talked about it before, everything grows from a seed. Very true. You know, even a woman has an egg that's fertilized by seed, and that becomes a child. Mm-hmm. So it's always it always starts with the seed. So um, seed is just euphemistic for the child, and they were not to put their children through the fire to worship Moloch. Good. They shouldn't. Some of the kings of Israel did write and destroyed the images that they set up in Israel, and some of them reverted right back. So they just went back and forth, back and forth. My goodness. King Josiah was one of the good kings that destroyed all the altars to the gods in the book of Second Kings. We can read about him in chapter 23, verse 10. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom. And remember that Hinnom, we've talked about that before. You yes. Know? that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. And what the Bible is saying here is that King Josiah defiled it. He tore it down. He took down that altar to Molech. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entering in of the house of the Lord. And that sun, S-U-N, they worship the sun, right? Okay. And By the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chambers of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron and the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, (laughs) which Solomon, the king of Israel, has builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, the king did defile, and he broke in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. 
which would have been the priests that, that did the worshiping. Okay. So he stopped all the idolatry. This king cut down all the altars, all the images, all the groves, all the temples and everything, and burned them down. And he was supposed to do that. But then King Manasseh turns right around and builds it back. Or actually, he came after Manasseh. But the reason why Josiah had to tear all this down was because Manasseh put it in place or fortified it from Solomon or built more of it mm-hmm. or whatever. So he worships Moloch and he shows how all of this worship of the gods is deeply connected to the occult, Satan, and, okay. and witchcraft and sorcery and all that. So to see that, we go to 2 Kings again, chapter 21, just a couple of chapters before what we were reading. Now, this is about this King Manasseh, who's a bad guy. Okay. So Manasseh came before Josiah. That's right. Okay. That's right. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Imagine, he was a child. Literally. A king at 12. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which evil, which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal. That's kind of a slap in the face of his father, Hezekiah, who was a king that did the right thing, mm-hmm. would have taught his son the right thing. He turned around and did the wrong thing, Aye. the evil thing. He, he was reared, 12. He was 12. He <laughs> reared up altars for Baal, and he made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. you got to think about the impact of this. God's holy temple that Solomon built is being polluted with the images of false gods. Yeah. The very thing the Antichrist is going to do when the temple is built again. Well, they just give up. I know. He's going to put an image of himself and say he's God. Oh, my land is... Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. You know what the craziest thing is? The fact that his name is Manaz. I don't want to say the, it right. the, the, the bad king was Manasseh. Manasseh, right? So his dad obviously did the right thing, like didn't put his son through the fire. You would think that he would feel some type of way about that and be like, you know right. what? My dad didn't sacrifice me, so I should live up to you know his footsteps. But he's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to do it this way instead. <laughs> and it makes you wonder, if his, you would have to assume if his dad did the right thing, he would have taught his son the right thing. Right. And he, he must have either died before the son took, you know, he would have had to die before his son to take the reign, mm-hmm. the kingdom. So if he was 12, his dad died when he was young. Very true. It was still very impressionable. Yes. There were probably adults misleading him. Oh, that would make sense because I'm pretty sure back then most kids had like butlers. I'm, they probably weren't card butlers back then, but you know, like someone Actually, that they looked were. Up, they were. Yeah, the okay. butlers are in the Bible. <laughs> really? Yeah, they are. I'm pretty sure like the butler looked over him more so than his parents, so he probably had a huge impression on him as well. Yeah, there could have also been. I mean, we we can assume it was somebody in the household or somebody in some official capacity. It could have been a nanny, but it also could have been like a. Yeah, like the food taster or the the court 
uh, prime minister or something, you know. Someone that he looked up to or right. respected in a way. And and it kind of tells you how Satan works because, remember, one of the 12 apostles was the devil. That's true. And Christ knew who he was. Satan can put people and blend them in with the saints mm-hmm. very easily so that they can deceive, you know. So he could have been a very trusted advisor that the mother thought was, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right. And had no idea he was teaching him bad things. I know. You know? So it's sad, but it's true. And then uh, it says um, in verse 5, he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire and observe times. You know, you're just talking about his dad didn't do that to him. He does it to his own sons. Oh, gosh. And he observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he'd made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. So again, defiling the temple of God Mm -hmm. with these images. You see the connection to witchcraft and the occult here. It's all part of it. And this guy decided, Manasseh, I want to be as bad as I can possibly be, you know. (laughs) I want to put all the other bad guys to shame. Right? I want to be number one. He wanted to be number one. So he did all these things. So you can see that part of the appeal of putting your children in the fire to Molech is to gain this knowledge, to gain this power, witchcraft, sorcery, mm-hmm. talking to spirits. You know, that, that was appealing to them. And people are drawn to the occult to this day. There are people that call themselves witches or wizards or warlocks or whatever, even to this day. But what's funny is there's people behind the scenes that are in the satanic global elite that do the same thing that you'd never know about. You know, they don't out, you know, sometimes a person says I'm a witch and they walk around and wear black and, you know, gothic looking, Mm -hmm. whatever. And you might see them and go, "Mm, I might walk on the other side of the street from that guy. (laughs) But you would never know that some of the wealthiest families in the world also do it too. Right. Black magic. Absolutely. So we talked about defining some terms. We talked about Moloch. The very name Moloch means king. It comes from a Hebrew word for king, which is Melech. Okay. So Moloch was like, I'm the king god. I'm the king of gods, you know. Malcham or Milcom was another name that was mentioned as one of the gods, and he means great king. Okay. So it's another idea of I'm lording over you. Baal we talked about is lord. Mm-hmm. And Baal was the chief deity of the Canaanite people. So the, the offspring of the Nephilim and the, and the giants there established the worship of Baal. So it's essentially Satan. And Baal, literally, it's bull. It's like lord of the house. So it's like, and his symbol is a bull. Interestingly enough, you know what? We get our English letter B is the representation of Baal. And if you take a B and you look at a capital B with the two humps, Mm -hmm. and you lay the two humps down on the line so that the straight line is on the top, and you take the two Bs and you stick the lines a little bit further above the flat line so it looks like a horn. It's the face of a bull. I didn't even know that. The letter B comes from the symbol for Baal, interestingly enough. you know, Ashtoreth is the goddess of the Phoenicians. She's also known as Ishtar and Isis in Egyptian, you know, and she was a fertility goddess. Kimash means subduer. Oh, Ashtoreth is star. You know, like, so for example, we have modern equivalent names, girls' names for the most part, Esther, star. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, in other languages, I, I, Estella? Estella? Uh, I think it's... In Est- Spanish? Oh my God. Ugh. I Estrella? Estrella, that's it. Estrella is star. So it's the same word, but mm-hmm. it started off as a goddess, Right. Kamash means subduer, and he represents the gods Saturn and Mars, either or. Okay. Now, we get to this thing about Hinnom. Remember we talked about the Valley of Hinnom? Yes. Hinnom means lamentation, which is to cry, woe, great woe, I'm, I'm totally grieved, I'm totally sad because of some horrible thing that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So Hinnom means lamentation. The Valley of Hinnom is where they offered the children to Moloch. Oh, so the entire valley was known as the Tophet was uh, the guy that owned it at some point. So that's a name, I think. So the Valley of Hinnom of Tophet was where the children were sacrificed. It came to be known later on 
as a very cursed place in Israel because when, when they were punished for it and they stopped doing it, Jesus Christ, uh, and when he was um, preaching in Israel, he talked about hell. And since the New Testament is written in Greek, there's three different words for hell. Mm-hmm. One of them you've heard of before, Hades. Yes. And that's the place of the dead. Another one we've talked about in the past, and it's called Tartarus, but it's the bottomless pit. Yes. But the place, the Greek word that is used to represent the place of burning and torment in hell, where the, where the wicked go, is called Gehenna. And Gehenna is Valley of Hinnom. So when you think about it, the concept of hell and the Greek word that Christ used is like he's saying, you know what you did to those children? That's what God's going to do to you when you die and you go to hell. Good. You're going to be burning in the Valley of Hinnom. Gehenna means hell in the New Testament. So it's just interesting how words evolve. Right. That word that I'm talking about, Christ used in the book of Mark, and I'm going to give you a little insight into what's in hell. Okay. It's a little disturbing, but it's what Christ said. So verse 42, you've heard this passage, I'll bet before. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. He's talking about children, Mm -hmm. right? These little ones. There were some little ones, some children that came up to Jesus and he was like touching them and talking to them and blessing them or whatever. And I think some people said, don't you want to get rid of those kids? Yes. And he said, suffer the children to come unto me. So children have a very special protective place for the Lord. So when men abuse them, you better believe that invokes God's anger and wrath. Very true. So he was saying, if you offend a little one that believe in me, if you turn a child away from God, it would be better for you that a millstone, a heavy, heavy stone was hanged around, uh, around your neck and you were thrown in the sea to drown than to end up in hell. And here's why he says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. That word hell there is Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when he uses that word for hell, he says, the fire that never shall be quenched. Now here's the verse, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now he repeats this three times. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt, which is lame, into life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, Gehenna, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. For it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, three times, as though if one was bad enough, right? Right. (laughs) Three times he mentions the fire that's never quenched and their worm. Now, you know what a worm is, right? We're talking about like an earthworm? Yeah, like like a crawling worm. Okay. (laughs) However, in this case, in the Valley of Hinnom, since it became a cursed place because of the practice of worshiping Moloch and burning their children in the fire to him, it became known as, it was basically the garbage dump of Jerusalem. Okay. So stuff was thrown in there and burned. They burned it and they would probably... um, salt it with sulfur or something like that, and they would burn stuff because obviously we're talking about disease control and things like Mm -hmm. that. So think of it as like sanitation, their version of sanitation. So things that were thrown away, generally speaking, we're not talking about waste like we think of paper or recycled bottles or that kind of stuff. So it would have been like dead animals. Okay. It would have been, it could have been like a person that was leprous and they had a garment and it's diseased, so they have to throw it and burn it. Okay, all the kind of things. When you think about dead animals and what happens to animals that are decaying maggots, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's the worm. This word worm is a red maggot. Okay. So there seems to be the idea, because of the possessive term there, which is possessive plural, it's like the people in hell are constantly being eaten as they burn by these maggot-like worms. I know, it's a horrifying thought, which is why we (laughs) want people to understand you need Jesus Christ more than you need your next breath. Yes. Because you don't want to end up in this place. Because it is the place, it's a prison until the judgment and the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire eventually. But all this because of their rejection of God's ways and God's truth. But you think about the people that participated in 
the sacrificing of children, he'll put them in the bottom of the yes. lake, you know, because they're going to, and, and all the murderers and everything else. So there's a special vengeance on those who destroy children, and God will uh, require it from their hands. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wrote this epistle. Notice verse 11. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And here's the verse, verse 12, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So we think about the unfruitful works of darkness. Men have historically and still do things so bad that the Bible says it's a shame to even speak of them. So we cannot and will not get into the gory details about the modern equivalent of Molech. But as I mentioned, child sex trafficking, Mm -hmm. pedophilia, all of that is a part of, sadly, there is a global sex trafficking pedophile ring. It is going on. We're not going to talk about things, conspiracy ideas like Pizzagate and this, that, and the other now. Yeah. But there may come a time when we will. And it, what we need is more evidence that we can truly call credible. Mm-hmm. But we know there's something going on. We know historically it was. You know, If men would kill their children and burn them, there's no telling what they would do to them while they're alive. You know? Very true. So, uh, And if men have been perverse in the past, they do it now. So believe it or not, that thing is used in the worship of Satan by the cabal or global elite to this day. And it's a horrifying thought, but I don't want to give specific details because it's disturbing, but if you want to look more into it, there is a resource I'm going to refer my listeners to. There's a website called VigilantCitizen.com. That's V-I-G-I-L-A-N-T and the word Citizen.com. The uh, owner of that website does a lot of research into satanic and occult symbolism and how it's rife in the media. And we're going to talk more about that next week in the next episode. But you can learn more about uh, the things that are going on in the world with children and sex trafficking and pedophilia from that website if you want to venture into that and come to a better understanding of it. It's very disturbing and it's very sad. But we'll close with this thought in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 1, another epistle that Paul wrote. Now, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to read it again just to remind our listeners, Zena. Paul wrote, This know also that in the last, in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous. And it's, it's almost like insanely dangerous. You know, people are just no, nothing holding them back. You know. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, meaning, you know, mothers can't even love their children anymore. What naturally occurs in a woman when she has a child is a love, a bond so strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I I joke about, you know, the the image of a a newborn and the parents. And the baby wakes up at 3 a.m. crying. The man, daddy, tries to pretend like he can't hear it. (laughs) And he's still sleeping. Or he's like, it's broken. Where's my can of oil? I need to fix him. Right? him. But the mother, exhausted, gets up and feeds him mm-hmm. or her. And it's like, you know, that's not natural for a man. No. But God <laughs> gives that gift to a woman, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I read somewhere that um, God didn't make women to do things men can do. God made women to do the things man can't do. Right. So there's a reason for that. You know, all this equality in sports and stuff like that. I don't understand that because I'm 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 extremely proud of female athletes. Yes. At what they do. But there's they want to erase the barriers of men and women's sports. And there's physiological differences there. You know? I don't want to play basketball with a guy that's six five. I'll exactly. pass. Like, I know. <laughs> and, and me neither. Right? <laughs> I don't want to play with a guy six five because I'm terrible at basketball. <laughs> but you get the idea. Why would you want to pit two things that were designed differently? It's like saying, okay, I want my cow to swim like a dolphin. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I don't know what the mentality is there when God intended the difference to be lifted up. To yes. be magnified, to be uh, to be thankful for it. I mean, I think women as they are should be, God should be praised for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, men have their virtues too. There's not very many. <laughs> There's not many. But you get the idea. So we're talking about a time when the natural instincts that we're born with are no longer showing the kind of love we're supposed to show, the kind of affection we're supposed to show. He says, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good traitors, 
heady, high-minded, arrogant, proud, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And it's interesting, you look at all these horrible characteristics he's describing of the last days and how men are going to be so awful, and yet it says they have a form of godliness. It's going to appeal to people. They're going to think this is the right way to not have natural affection, to be a false accuser, to be a traitor, to be disrespectful to parents. They're going to think that's the way we should be. And I think we're reaching that time now. I think not just in our culture in America, which is the only one I can speak to. Right. (laughs) It's all over the world. But I think we're reaching a point where we're throwing away everything that was considered good and traditional. And we're saying, no, all that has to be changed. We must break down the barriers and this and that and the other. Mm -hmm. Some of that's not good. I'm all in favor of positive change, but I'm not in favor of turning the truth into a lie. Very true. Like I say, we're going to close here and go to Revelation chapter 9. I keep saying we're going to close. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I have more to talk about. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. Now, in the time of the book of Revelation, God's wrath is going to be poured out on all these people. We talked a little bit about the coming wrath. Horrible things happen on the earth. Remember mm-hmm. Isaiah 24 and the cataclysm of the yes. turning around? And it says, and for the rest, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So even when God pours the full brunt of his wrath out on mankind, led by the satanic global elite to rebel against him, men refuse to stop doing what they're doing. Very few will turn from their ways. And that's why God's wrath that is coming is so bad. And even though we read a little bit about it when we talked about Isaiah 24, Paul sort of summarized the whole thing in one letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And he wrote it this way because the Thessalonians were a church they established. They were in Greece. Mm -hmm. They were persecuted for their faith in Christ. And he was letting them know that this is going to happen. And we've been very blessed to live in a country where we're not persecuted for our faith. Very true. Not yet. It looks like that time may be coming. Other countries, they do. If you think about China, you can't openly profess your faith as a Christian. Saudi Arabia, you cannot openly profess your faith as a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's either a governmental system against them or a religious system against them. And it's been going on for 2,000 years all over the world, but we've enjoyed the benefits of liberty in America for the Mm -hmm. most part. Freedom of speech. And when you think about it, and, uh, and this may have more of an impact on your history than many others, but slavery was such an insidious evil that came to the United States. Mm -hmm. One of the major things that got the African people through that was their faith in God because they held on to the belief that God would eventually restore men's hearts and bring in righteousness. Mm -hmm. And we did. We finally abolished it. We finally got rid of it. It took a lot. It's a blight on our history as a nation. It's a blight on every nation because they all did it at one point. But we now realize that I think it ended mainly because of their prayers, their faith. There was activism. There was all that. There was rebellion and unfortunately a civil war, you know, that ended it. But it came about, I think, because of the faith of people. You know, when they saw how the Lord promised them deliverance and everything else, and they held to that faith. Mm -hmm. So, When you think about it, vengeance is going to come from the Lord for all his people. Yes. And in a sense, it was a vengeance, if you want to call the Civil War the punishment for that unrighteous act. Mm -hmm. God wasn't pouring his wrath out on the world at that time, but he allowed men to take up a righteous cause on behalf of his brother. Yeah. But when the Lord says, okay, I've had enough, and he's going to pour his wrath out on the world, then Paul says to the Thessalonians, You're troubled, you're persecuted, you're afflicted, but take comfort in knowing that God's going to pay them back. And so he writes these words. He says, to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished 
with everlasting destruction, Valley of Hinnom, Mm-hmm. from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So the picture here is at some point after the wrath of God, the Lord's going to come back. And when he comes back, all his saints are with him. Every believer, all the persecuted, all the afflicted, all the enslaved, all of the downtrodden, you know, all the poor that were taken advantage of and oppressed. Mm-hmm. And they're the, they had their faith in the Lord. They're going to come back, and he's going to be there in his glory. And we are there with him, and he's admired in you and me, in us, mm-hmm. right? So it's like when we'll be, we'll be coming back, and it's going to be like a smoldering wasteland <laughs> on the earth for, for all the wicked that have been punished. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to establish a righteous government on the earth. And we'll pick up the pieces and rebuild, mm-hmm. you know. So I take great comfort in that, that he's going to judge these wicked ones. And these people involved in the modern version of Moloch today, the child sex trafficking, the global satanic elite, their judgment is coming. And the last verse I'll read, it was another one out of Isaiah 24, because mm-hmm. we saw that a couple of podcasts ago. But it's verse 19. They better start repenting. They better. <laughs> You're right. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, imagine, and shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day, and this is my favorite, that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. We're talking about that the fallen angels mm-hmm. and the global elite the satanic elite, they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and they shall be shut up in the prison. Hell is God's prison. Guyana. That's where they'll be. Mm-hmm. And they shall be uh, shut up in the prison. And after many days shall they be visited. And after many days is a thousand years when the Lord uh, creates a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be that final judgment. They'll go into the lake of fire. So what we're going to do next podcast is we're going to talk about the symbolism of the satanic global elite and why they are trying to reveal themselves subliminally. Mm -hmm. They're kind of preparing mankind to get ready for them to accept them. So next episode is called The Symbolism of the Occult. You will not be accepting them. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. If you're in Christ, you won't have to worry about it. So we encourage everybody to make sure you know you have a Savior. Make sure you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for that, we thank you for listening today. Yes. If you guys do not mind subscribing, sharing, and liking, and leaving a comment down below of something new that you've learned and what interests you in our podcast. And thank you so much, Lena, for being here. Of course. We look forward to next week. Until then, you guys have a great day. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.